Let's talk about you a little bit. You've got a new game company, Will Win Games. Um, Will Jeff. <laughs> There's an interesting story around that. I don't know if we have time to get into that, but give us uh, a short one. The primary person that was going to help fund this initially, you know, they came back and they said, you know, this sounds a lot like an incubator. We already fund a couple incubators, so we don't really want to fund an incubator. We want to fund something that has the potential of making money. Um, we pivoted. So, you know, overnight, we basically came back to them and said, okay, we, we want to form a company. We had to come up with a name, <laughs> you know, last minute. My last name is Wynn and that works well with games and, and uh, Will Jeffrey, who's my, my colleague in all of this. It was like, well, what if we put these things together and be will win games? Hello, world. You're listening to SpartyCast. Hello, SpartyCasters. This episode, I speak with Professor Brian Wynn, who's my colleague here at the Department of Media and Information at Michigan State University. We talk about how he went from a master's student to the director of the Games for Entertainment and Learning Lab, GEL Lab. We talk about the conference Meaningful Play, how the name came to be, serious games, maybe not as uh, as palatable to some people as Meaningful Play. It covers the gamut, it's not just games for health or or education it's also games that have meaningful outcomes that are still focused toward entertainment and we talk about the future meaningful play conference uh meaningful play 2022 october 13th through 15th please come please submit something if you have a game if you have a paper about games that frames them in a way that is meaningful um do it we we combine the industry perspective with the research perspective in this conference. Um, there are people from kind of both sides of those aisles. There are people who try to merge those inquiries or those approaches to games. Um, so it's a really great conference. Brian started it and I'm lucky to be involved in organizing it. Um, and, and then we also talk about Brian's new game studio, which he started with a former Gel Lab student, Will Jeffrey and it's called Will Win Games. They produce a game called Plunder Panic, which I've played up to 12 people at the same time can play this game, which is pretty cool. That's more than Smash Brothers. And it's not just that. You can play with teams online and local. You're all around the screens or you, you're um, kind of mixed modality and you can have humans and AI or just humans, kind of any size team. It's really fun. It's a pretty cool, innovative game, certainly meaningful in many ways. So listen to the episode, come to Meaningful Play, check out Plunder Panic. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Brian Wynn. Welcome to SpartyCast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's weird to talk to you like that because we like talk in the hallways. We're colleagues, but you've been here a fair amount longer than I have at Michigan State University. And so can you just tell us a little bit about uh, what it is that you do here? Yeah, well, yeah, I've been here a long time. I actually came to graduate school here back in uh, 1993. So I, I have been here, you know, one of the longest people likely. Um, and, uh, you know, a little bit of an oddball in that sense, you know, to, to kind of be here in graduate school and then stick around. I worked in a, a research and development lab called the Communication Technology Lab, which was led by uh, the esteemed Carrie Heater, who now recently retired. 
and uh, you know, be, basically became her right hand person uh, for several years and was teaching on the side because there was, you know, at that time, you know, the web was taking off and interactive multimedia and things like that. There weren't a lot of people out there with those skill set. Uh, so I, I began teaching on the side and, you know, then they tried to hire multiple hires, you know, in, in the late nineties for this, this position. And, uh, you know, they weren't able to find who, you know, a, a replacement for me and that, you know, and I was about to leave out to industry and, you know, they said, maybe you should, you should apply in this next round. And I, I did that. And, you know, I think that was in, in, uh, 2000, uh, 2000, 2001 year. I didn't realize and, you were uh, considering jumping over to industry. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was packing my bags, um, <laughs> you know, cause I, I kind of committed to be, you know, with Carrie for five years after, after my graduation mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's getting those first five years of experience or is always the challenge. Right. Um, you know, so I pretty much had served that, served that time and, you know, really loved doing it, but you know, I, I didn't see a lot of upward mobility in my current position. So I, I originally was not considering life in academia mm -hmm. um, as, as an option, I guess, or, or as a thing that I really wanted to do. But uh, like I said, I really liked what I was doing. It was like, can this continue? And, uh, you know, when the tenure stream position line came open and, and they recommended I apply and, you know, went through the process and, you know, was ultimately offered the position, you know, then I had to make the tough choice. Like, okay, do I want to continue in this trajectory for a long time or do I want to uh, jump to industry and obviously I, I you know the choice that I made sure you made the choice and it's a very unique path that you've carved out for yourself right like you don't have the research background but you're a tenured full professor now after having spent these years kind of doing research but also building up an amazing games lab that the Games for Entertainment and Learning Lab, the Gel Lab, which grew out of the Immersive Technologies Lab, I guess. When did you change the name? Yeah, so uh, I became, you know, tenure stream faculty in, in 2001, uh, fall of 2001. And, uh, you know, we I, I taught my first ever game course, I think just prior to that, you know, as a special topics. So when I became regular faculty, we made our first games course on the book. And, uh, you know, by 2005, we had grown that grown that one course into a four course sequence and you know we were doing and how, more and more things related to games you? yeah how, how did you know that that was a good idea like <laughs> were there other programs doing that was there some sort of competitive analysis or yeah i mean it was just a passion of mine um you know when i went through uh you know undergrad graduate program i always wanted to to be doing things with games, but there was no curriculum out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I did a lot of self-learning, you know, my background's in more computer science. So obviously I had the programming chops to do it, um, but I also was very interested in, in the design side of things and kind of combining the two together. Um, yeah, so like I, like I mentioned, I was teaching a lot of things like web design and multimedia uh your know, hypermedia you know kind of these dated terms so it was sort of a natural progression to do to do games mm -hmm. and certainly at the time you know the hot programs were like carnegie mellon and you know usc was just ramping up on their program so um yeah there were other programs out there i wouldn't i wouldn't say we did like a formal competitive analysis but it was sure. you know it was something that that i wanted to do and in the interviewing process it's something that i pitched sure. um and the games and, industry was burgeoning right it, it was starting to make more money than the film industry around that time, probably. And so they exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, and then the whole idea of, of serious games was just really starting to take off. I was kind of at the, the beginning of all that. And like I mentioned, we, we, we grew the number of courses that we're teaching uh, in the, the communication technology lab. We were doing more and more games and virtual reality type projects. And, you know, at one point, uh, you know, Carrie was kind of like, hey, I'm going to step back from kind of running this lab. And, you know, we're doing a lot of game stuff. So what do you think? And, you know, and I was like, well, I would love to take it over, but we really should rebrand it so people know what we're doing because mm -hmm. communication technology was, you know, a little bit of a dated term and in and, and a general term, you know, so we rebranded as the Games for Entertainment and Learning Lab or the Gel Lab mm -hmm. in 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've been the Gel Lab since 2005. Since 2005. Okay. And at what point did the Meaningful Play Conference start? I think in 2000, I'm trying to remember, 2006, 2007, we ran a conference at MSU called Future Play, mm -hmm. which uh, was in collaboration with some, some colleagues, some peers in Canada. And, you know, they had run that conference up in Canada for a couple of years, and then they brought it down and ran it here. And that was kind of our first time running, you know, a big conference, uh, you know, at MSU related to games. And, uh, you know, we, we really enjoyed that. And I think Future Play ended up going on and being kind of gobbled up by GEC Canada or something like that, you know, a, a couple of years later. Uh, but after running Future Play, we were like, hey, we should we should do something here and, and it should relate to kind of the, the mission of the gel lab, which was, you know, looking at games, you know, from both kind of a research perspective um, and from a design perspective, you know, actually building games. And, um, you know, the goal of Meaningful Play, you know, originally was to do that, was to kind of marry research and the creative act, you know, marry academia and industry and bring them together into one place. So 2008 was the first Meaningful Play that we ran at MSU. Wow. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, running a conference is a lot of work. So we're like, well, we can't do this every year, but we can do it every other year. So, you know, since 2008, we've, we've basically ran it every other year, all the way up to, you know, through 2018, we were planning on 2020, but of course COVID hit. Um, so we rescheduled to 2021 and then COVID was still going. We ended up rescheduling, you know, basically effectively canceling 2020. And uh, so we're planning for, you know, fall of 2022. Okay. Uh, you know, it's October 13th through the 15th. October 13th through the 15th. Put it in your calendar, listener. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, excited to, you know, get back together because, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's the same for you. You know, going to conferences is when you get to have those great conversations with people, um, you know, in, in, in our field. And, you know, that's definitely been missing for the last few years. So I'm, I'm very excited to return <laughs> to Meaningful Play in 2022. Absolutely, absolutely. Another date to keep in mind is the submission deadline. And I'm just looking over here at the uh, timeline for the previous conference. It looks like we probably aim for June, mid-June. The CFP will come out. Uh, Full disclosure: yeah. I'm also involved in organizing this. So, yeah, Brian and I were we are we are co-chairs to some extent, and with others as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and we're still working out the kinks uh, of the details for this upcoming conference. But I thought that this kind of historically oriented podcast episode would help people get excited about the conference and keep an eye open for the the call and and maybe start to think about some ideas so what kinds of work is supported at meaningful play what's been the most interesting aspects or the biggest draw for audiences 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously being called meaningful play was, was very purposeful. Um, you know, it, it certainly ties into the whole kind of serious game side of thing, but you know, there, there, there's some of us that don't like serious games as a term because it kind of sounds like not fun games. Um, Chocolate <laughs> so, covered broccoli. Exactly. So, you know, meaningful play is, is a very inclusive term that, you know, not only covers what would traditionally be thought of as serious games, but also even entertainment because doing things for pure enjoyment is certainly meaningful, especially, you know, right now and across this pandemic. I mean, people found, found uh, relief in playing games, um, you know, during their time in quarantine and, and so forth. We look at certainly an academic uh, perspective on games, you know, people that are doing research on games holistically. I mean, it could be games that are out there commercially. It could be games that are built in, in labs such as mine and human subjects run through and, and data gathered and, and that sort of thing um, and bringing those results to this conference. Um, but we also always try to bring in an industry perspective as well. You know, we try to break our keynotes. We typically have six keynotes across the conference, kind of a morning and afternoon each day. And about half of those, we try to make industry keynotes so we can bring in that uh, side of things. And of course, also bring in additional speakers and, and people from industry beyond just academia. Can I invite some of our past industry guests on SpartyCast? Uh, people that would who are be awesome. In, in the metaverse <laughs> space. I mean, the metaverse is meaningful play in many ways. It's not the way that certainly some of the, the industry is talking about it. It's, it's not just play for entertainment, though that can be meaningful. I agree. You know, you can have very um, kind of eye-opening, uh, substantive experiences when you're playing for fun, but also socializing in virtual worlds. That counts as meaningful play, right? Oh, certainly. Yeah. And, and we've, we've definitely had uh, an angle, you know, related to your, your research interest areas, you know, people studying avatars, people in virtual reality, augmented reality, and so forth. That was a big um, focus of 2018. Uh, and I assume that will continue into 2022. Are the conferences ever themed? Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's this kind of specific theme for this year. Yeah, um, we haven't ever really done a really focused theme. Sometimes we've had a track, you know, within the conference where we have a sequence of, of different talks and panels and, you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes workshops that, that are all within a certain track. Um, you know, we've done ones on kind of like games and learning in the past. But yeah, that, that, that's a good idea as, as we are, uh, like I said, we need to get our ducks in a row and, and, and figure yeah. out all of, all of the plans for 2022. Oh, I'm, I'm totally going to pitch a metaverse theme for this one. <laughs> I mean, somehow good. connect your game or your scenario, your research to the idea of the metaverse. I think that that could fly. That could get some industry interest. Hello, listener. It's me, but I'm an avatar. You probably learn about avatars in this podcast, but you can actually try them out, not just in video games, but in spaces like Zoom. I'm using Zoom to record this right now. This avatar I created with Ready Player Me. Remember in episode a long time ago, I talked to Timo Toke, the CEO of Wolf 3D. That's the company that makes Ready Player Me. I took a screenshot of myself with my camera, a selfie, I should say, and I created an avatar automatically, customized it in their app. Then I posted it in Animes. That's the software I'm using right now. They are the sponsor of this message and they are giving a 50% discount on subscriptions. You can try it for free, but if you want to subscribe, you enter Sparty Lab. 
as the discount code. That's that's S P A R T I E Lab. So you can use a Ready Player Me avatar, like I mentioned. You can also upload your own VRM or live 2D models, or you can make avatars right in animes. For example, you could use the Doge avatar. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I mean, it might have seemed like like a, a strange thing at first, but but Dogecoin is is still making bucks. Um, but you could use the Doge avatar or one of their very cool anthropomorphic animals, such as the Fluffo, the raccoon. Totally detailed. Look at this. It's so responsive. People use these types of avatars to stream or go to Zoom meetings or go to, go to court cases and say, I am not a cat. There are also two-dimensional avatars like this raccoon or more anthropomorphic avatars that aren't even animals like this cute pandemic virus right here. Corey, Corey, the COVID. Maybe this one won't win you too many friends. I really like Kathy. She's quite a catch. You could choose whichever avatar you like. And then you could even apply some of the concepts like the Proteus effect or other phenomena related to avatars in the workplace to your uses of these avatars uh, based on what you've learned in this podcast. And once again, if you wanna try it out, go to Steam, download Animes, try it for free. And then if you want a subscription, you can get 50% off for a limited time by entering Sparty Lab in the discount code. Check it out. So we've got this conference coming up and you've given us a bit of the history, um, but let's talk about you a little bit uh, more. So we, we heard your background, but I, you've got this cool new project. You've got a new game company, um, mm -hmm. Will Win Games, named for your partner's first name and your last name, <laughs> um, Will Jeffrey. There's an interesting story around that. I don't know if we have time to get into that. but Give us uh, a short one. Just a little bit of the, the background of this, this project. You know, in the Gel Lab, we, we've produced many, many games across the years. And, and it's always a challenge, like, what do we do? at the end of the project, you know, and a lot of things are grant funded, you know, funded by the NIH or the NSF or NASA. And, you know, th those are funded by, by tax dollars. So generally those we just put out, you know, essentially into the public domain, open source into the world and the, you know, executable, you know, we put on, for example, like the Apple app store or Google play and that sort of thing. But, you know, there are occasions where we built things that, you know, have value, people, people are interested in these things, and they're not funded through those sources, you know, so, it, so how do we get it out there? And, and, you know, MSU is very risk adverse, you know, they don't want to sign contracts with Nintendo, and Sony and Microsoft and things like that. So it, it, it's always been a challenge of figuring out, well, what do we do with these things, because we put a lot of energy into them. So um, we began talking about, well, should we have a commercial uh, branch of the gel lab. And, uh, you know, we went down that path for about a year talking with the folks at MSU. Uh, there's a division called MSU technologies, which kind of handles the intellectual property at MSU and, uh, you know, gets it out into the world, you typically licensing it, you know, so we were talking about starting a branch of, you know, gel studios was, was sort of our term at the time of external to MSU, you know, like a, a, a C corp, 
uh, or a limited liability company that would be external to MSU and would license things out and then bring them to market, mm -hmm. you know, which generally would involve additional development and certain certainly marketing, publishing, that sort of thing. And we also talked about the student angle, like, hey, students are doing some cool things. How do they get their work out, out into the world? So we've, we've, we've been developing this for about a year. The MSU Foundation, which was, you know, the primary person that was going to help fund this initially, you know, they came back and they said, you know, this sounds a lot like an incubator, you know, and we've, we already fund a couple incubators. So we don't really want to fund an incubator because that's like a nonprofit. We want to fund something that has the potential of making money, you know, because that's, that's what our venture arm does. Mm -hmm. um, so literally overnight, we had to kind of pivot and be like, okay, we like a lot of what we were saying, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the vision of this, but it can't be set up as, as an incubator that brings in students and incubates them, incubate, incubates their project and, and um, gel lab projects and things like that. So um, we pivoted, you know, we had a game that we developed uh, a couple of years ago called Plunder Panic, which uh, had received some success out in the world, won a few awards like the uh, Independent Games Festival Audience Choice Award, um, a finalist at South by Southwest, uh, we were an official selection at the Indie Mega Booth um, at PAX East, you know, and we'd shown it to a lot of people and they, they really loved playing it. And we're like, hey, this is the perfect example of a, you know, a passion project, a self-funded game that we should bring out to the world. So, you know, overnight, we basically came back to them and said, okay, we, we want to form a company. We had to come up with a name, you know, last minute. And it was sort of, you know, my last name is Wynn and that works well with games and, and, uh, Will Jeffrey, who's, you know, my my colleague in all of this, you know, it was like, well, what if we put these things together and be will win games? Um, and, you know, of course, the at the time, MSU had this Spartans will campaign. So oh, really that works kinda, too. It works in with that as well. <laughs> um, so, so anyways, you know, we, we came back and we pitched will win games, you know, our inaugural title was to license Plunder Panic from the university. And, uh, you know, we made the business case of, of how this could be successful. We still wanted to have the mission of being a, a first step for, for students graduating. You know, often that first job is, is, is the tough thing to get, you know, and we have a great program here, you know, in the a top 10 ranked program by Princeton Review. So we wanted to, you know, kind of have that next leg of the stool in terms of enhancing our program. So that was, that's one of our missions of, of Will Win Games to, you know, take graduates out of the program and provide them with that first job. Um, and, you know, since we've started, we've, we've hired about 10, 10 students or I mean, former students that are alumni. Wow. Um, how, wait, how, long is, games. how long have you been operational with Will Win Games? We're about a year in. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I think it was September of, of 2020 is when we officially formed, but of course there was a couple months of real early on. So really December 2020 is when we started to ramp up and, and we began and to hire of, people in January. Most of the hires are working on getting Plunder Panic out or, or new IP? So yeah, we're working on mostly on Plunder Panic right now. Um, you know, as expected, you know, when you develop something, you know, iteratively, kind of experimentally, kind of on the side within a, a you know, with student labor, uh, it turns messy. out- it, it goes a little messy. So, you know, we, we, we basically had to, you know, make some hard decisions with that. Like we had a game that was functional and worked well. It was, you know, up to 12 person multiplayer game, but it was local multiplayer and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, so, you know, releasing a game that required 
12 people to be together locally didn't make a lot of sense when at the time of decision making, you know, there were restrictions on how many people could even be together in, in one household, which was less than 12. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we made the hard decision to basically rewrite the game from scratch to be an internet based multiplayer game that obviously also supports local. Um, Will it support 12 local? It supports 12 local. It does. Yeah. So it still, still does that, you know, it supports up to 12, you know, any combination, you can have two people local and one place, three people in another place and so oh, forth. Right. And you can go, you know, up to 12 people. So which is a little bit unique. We found amongst games, you know, usually multiplayer games are kind of like one player per device, um, yeah. you know, that are connecting. So, you know, we have, we have a little bit of a unique aspect there. And, and then we also really added, cool. uh, we added internet, uh, or sorry, we added uh, AI players. So, you know, if you if you are an individual and want to play the game, uh, you know, you could add up to 11 AI. Okay. And, you know, and our game doesn't require 12 players. I mean, you could play, sure. you know, two versus two, three versus three, yeah. that sort of thing. With any number of AI. Yeah, yep. So um, have, you, have you considered, uh, this is something I think about in research. Um, when you play a sports game often and you're in control of a team, hockey brian and i are on a hockey team together by the way yeah, we're all we play hockey yeah <laughs> uh, brian's very good i'm very new but um you know you're playing a hockey video game and you can switch your player you can control mm -hmm. the ai who's closest to the puck or if you get the puck you're in control and then the, the others on your team are ai for those moments i've referred to that as an ephemeral avatar or maybe they're controllable agents uh, i think mm -hmm. about this because it's an interesting switch in the mental model psychologically that we have between interacting with a, a social other, someone who's not me, and then turning it into a self-representation, an avatar um, that is me or a representation of me. Uh, and there are different psychological theories that describe how we interact with social others or agents or, or uh, sorry, avatars. Um, but that's always in sports games. Would you consider a mechanic in Plunder Panic where you could switch around the AI you're controlling? Um, we sort of have that now. Like, I mean, obviously when you start the game, you pick your avatar. There's yeah. you know, a series I mean, of six different time. characters that you pick. And yeah. then in the game, basically, if there's like a technical glitch, like, you know, you unplug your controller or mm. a player drops, yeah. that player doesn't just disappear. They get taken over by AI. Um, and okay. then, you know, and then if they plug their controller back in or they get reconnected, they could retake over that character again, yeah. um, if that makes sense. So it can kind of go Absolutely. back and forth between AI and, and a human player. Sure. Um, but I think what you're saying is just take the next logical step of, you know, being able to like being able capture to switch. one of those so AI. Capture yeah. the one who's closest to the, the cannonball or yeah. uh, whatever it is. Um, I think there's, there's psychologically it's a really interesting phenomenon just to like go off on this slightly boring tangent but, uh, but maybe it's relevant to you so when we connect when we communicate with social others or we're on the same team as them we often use like social rules so mm -hmm. um politeness if the ai is polite to me i'll be polite back that kind of thing when i control it as an avatar you've probably heard me talk about the proteus effect do you remember this yeah yeah so yeah. like the the avatar's characteristics will influence me um, if, if it's a taller avatar, I'll negotiate more aggressively. Well, what if the AI has some characteristics? Like um, like in Smash Brothers, I, I believe in Plunder Panic, all of the characters essentially have the same abilities, right? Or actually uh, one of them a, is the captain. One of them is the captain, which has some unique abilities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Okay, but besides that, it's, uh, it's equivalent. 
Yeah. And then in the game there, you know, there are things that you can do to change your abilities. So you can go out in the world and get gold and bring it back to the sword shop and buy a sword, which oh, yeah. then makes you more dangerous in the world because now you have a sword. Yeah. Um, there are different items that drop into the world or that you can, you could, you know, get into the world, mm-hmm. you know, like TNT or like a Molotov cocktail. And obviously you can pick those up and interact with those and, yeah. and have an effect in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I think it's pretty rare for humans to be able to switch identities quickly often in these team games when i'm switching around from avatar to avatar they're all basically equivalent right yeah um Mm -hmm. but if you add the proteus effect to this idea of ascribing social identity characteristics to different ai and i take on these different ai maybe one's more powerful it has a sword or it doesn't um that could be a pretty unique psychological experience right and maybe it affects how i and I see myself like, all right, right now I'm empowered with a sword, but oh no, I need to be the savior over there. Um, and, and that's a rare, I, I, maybe people would hate it and it's a terrible design idea. <laughs> Don't ask this, the, the psychology type researcher for the best game design uh, tips, but at, at least I think it'd be unique. Yeah, I think, I think there's some interesting ideas there and, and certainly some things may be worthy of, of researching further, Sure. Um, you know, and building some, you know, prototypes. Yeah, to, to yeah. And that's, that's one thing that we've done together also is we, we started, uh, we call it the GEL Research, GEL R initiative, where we work with PhD students and we look at games um, that GEL has made, sponsored, let's say, by MSU FCU, the uh, Federal Credit Union, and yep. looking at how playing the game affects financial literacy. I can tell you, we just analyzed some data, Brian. It looks like after playing the game, people did worse on some of the math oh, no. type questions. <laughs> I think it's just because they're like tired from playing the game. So they don't Probably. have as much cognitive energy. So we'll, we'll have to see if uh, we actually publish that or not. We need to delve in. But yeah, this is so exciting. You guys are making a game that is breaking boundaries um, for multiplayer, local, online. And it's also a new endeavor for you as, I mean, you wanted to go to industry potentially 20 years ago and here yeah. you are kind of doing it on the side. Yeah. The, you know, I mean, so far it's gone really well. We, we released a, what's called early access on steam for mm-hmm. PC and Mac, you know, so we're, we're ultimately supporting, I think seven platforms, uh, possibly nine. So we've got two of them out now. Um, and we're, you know, as is always in, in game development, it's an iterative process. And the quicker you can have players playing your game and giving you feedback, the better. So early access is something that allowed us to do that. While we continue to work on the Switch version, the you know, the PlayStation versions, you know, four and five, yeah, and the Xbox versions, uh, one and and now the Series X slash X. Oh my goodness, X, we have yeah. to have a plunder panic tournament at Meaningful Play 2022. Oh, I think I think we probably could do that. Yeah. So in, in 2018, we actually had our barricade there. So yeah, that was the original. So fun. The original version of Plunder Panic was an arcade cabinet. It was built in a rum barrel, and you know, with two screens on it, and people, you know, being a circular shape was nice because you could actually literally have 12 people surround the barrel, and you know, te- there's you know a red team and a blue team on each side, and uh, yeah, that worked great at, at Meaningful Play 2018, and yeah. we could bring it back with the updated version of the game, and and that would be and, fun. And formalize a, a tournament. tournament. Yeah, yeah, you know, you could win uh, best conference paper, or you could win Plunder Panic <laughs> Champion. <laughs> that yeah, speaking be... of conference awards, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Many things, important things that we need to figure out as we plan this conference. Um, Great, Brian. Well, thank you so much for taking us through some history and and, uh, thinking about some future here on SpartyCast. Is there anything else that 
that you think would be interesting for, I, I'm guessing like students who might submit to the conference will listen to this, maybe existing gel lab students or other MSU students who are interested or, or even at other universities who might wanna come be part of our yeah, program. Yeah, I mean, so. you know, and, and in addition to the call for submissions for papers and talks, we, we do have a game exhibition mm -hmm. at Meaningful Play. Um, you know, we've, we've uh, showcased lots of cool projects like Plunder Panic in the past at, at the conference, you know, and, and typically they have, you know, a meaningful play slash serious game bent to them, but, but not always. Sometimes it's, you know, a novel connection of technology and games and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, definitely be on the lookout for that as well. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's a very fun event at the conference. Um, you know, we have a, we have a game night basically where you, you come and see all the games that are being exhibited and you could, you know, help select the people's choice award at the conference and, and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a really fun night to, to come out and maybe have some drinks and, and, and play some fun games that you otherwise would probably never see. Yes. Yes. It, it's fun. Uh, it's fun to participate. It's fun. And uh, it's a great pleasure to organize it with you. So uh, thank you for that opportunity, Brian. And yeah, thanks for telling all of our listeners about it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. That was our episode with Brian Wynn. If you like what you heard, hit like, subscribe, tell a friend, submit a paper to Meaningful Play, submit a game to Meaningful Play, tell your friends and family to submit a paper and a game to Meaningful Play if that's their thing. Um, if not, that's okay. They can still support you in your meaningful, playful endeavors. Thank you so much to our production team um, led by Taylor Halterman, also with Kyle Takpe, and our newest intern, Mia Burkhart. Welcome uh, to SpartyCast, Mia, and thank you all for supporting SpartyCast, not just on our YouTube channel and our, our audio channels, um, all the podcast platforms, but we're also on the TikTok. That's how we refer to it, right? The TikTok. Um, I am certainly not a, a TikTok native, uh, but we're learning. And so if you listened all the way to this end of the episode, you clearly are invested. Go go to the TikTok and, and like and subscribe and, and tell me what TikTok um, can do for SpartyCast. What kinds of videos should we make just for TikTok? I am excited to figure that question out. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world.